0: Hello and welcome back to the Archives are Incomplete, episode 43, my name is Jonah and today we will be talking about everything Clone Wars, including the pre-war era, but it's still set in this kind of time range and things are building towards it, and when I say everything, I mean the novels, we're not going to get to the young adult novels just yet, nor are we going to talk about the comics, but you know, that's what we've been talking about, so you know what to expect when I say everything. We are going to be discussing, essentially, Season 2 of The Archives Are Incomplete. Season 2 comprises of 30 episodes, episodes number 12 through 41, and, as mentioned, covers the Clone Wars era. Now, as I did last time, I just want to talk a little bit about how the podcast has changed. My individual notes have gotten even briefer since that first batch of 10 or 11 episodes, because I know that I'm going to have to flip back through the book to get the greater context of what I want to talk about, so I take shorter notes and make sure that it's a useful piece of information to get that spark flowing. But the total amount of notes per book has gone up. I no longer stop to refine thoughts, but just say, this might make me think more later and just spew out everything that might create a thought later. I've also started doing a bit more markup to indicate what the subject of the note is. Is it a miscellaneous thought or reference? Is it about a certain character or organization? This makes turning the notes into an outline much, much easier. Plus, I have, like, page numbers, which is something that I've been doing for a while, but having the page number of, this is where I want to flip to so I can get that further information, has been excellent for me. Speaking of outlines, however, the outlines are much more robust now. They're whole swaths of script that I write. I don't write out the whole thing, especially if it's something that I'm passionate about, because I'll just let myself ramble and rant, because that's what I like doing. That's why I'm here, just to get frothy and talk about Star Wars. Um... But the point of the outline is to make sure that I get the thoughts that I know I want out in an order that's, you know, generally comprehensible. Now because of the more in-depth nature of the outline, recording is so much smoother. I definitely used to stop and think and have to go back and edit out a lot of dead air as much as maybe 10 or 15% of the show was silence before edits, just a lot of blank thinking. Now the pace of presentation is much faster and steadier on my end. So I don't have to do that. And that saves a ton of time when I'm done recording. I go back and fix maybe one or two things in under a minute, rather than spending an hour or two going through and being like, Oh, that was a five second silence. Let's look at that. That's a half second silence. A half second silence to me feels like a really long time. And so I wanted to make sure that like any silence longer than a second was deleted and the tools and audacity to delete silence would chop into words just a little bit too much and so i had to do it manually because i couldn't really figure out how to play with that automatic tool instead of doing that now though i just make the recordings better and don't screw up and don't have to edit things Now, I do continue to talk about the plot and a few references here and there as per usual, but we've gotten some new topics, mostly discussing the fate of the clones and the ideals behind Jedi attachment. There was always some discussion of the Jedi during the Old Republic, but those books slanted much more heavily towards the Sith, because that's the only time that they really exist to write about. So, those were new. Less Sith philosophy, but still some. But the general topics have remained the same. Characters and analysis of how characters behave and how it fits their character, and a lot of philosophy and culture, sometimes some history, that sort of thing. Now, let's get into the episodes. There were 30 episodes spanning the course of about 40 years. We have an average runtime of just over 58 minutes, and we've got over 29 hours of content in season 2. 11 of the episodes in season 2 break an hour, compared to in season 1, where the longest single episode was only 52 minutes. Now, let's get into the books and episodes one by one. Lockdown. This was a rather frustrating read, story-wise, because it didn't matter. It turns out that the whole MacGuffin objective was meaningless, and every character other than Maul dies, and Maul doesn't see any character growth, so the plot is nigh meaningless. It's just a shoot-em-up with Darth Maul, and as somebody who's trying to extract meaning from these books, that doesn't help a whole ton. We do get a lot of Darth Maul, but it's mostly him running around being a badass with very little of him trying to be an investigator, and he fails miserably at that because he's not a detective, he's a hitman. The other characters are flavor and filling, but none of them were particularly satisfying. We do get some of the dynamic between Darth Maul and Palpatine, and there's Komari Vosa and her band Agora, as well as some idea of how the Republic treated the Outer Rim. I mean, they have this for-profit prison running a deadly gladiatorial combat with hosted galactic gambling parties. Uh, which are nominally things that the Republic frowns upon, but happened within their own judiciary system. So maybe we should deprivatize prisons. Just, just spitballing here. In any case, the world building and lore was very limited. It was this one space station, and then the space station was destroyed. So everything, nothing in this book mattered. Ooh. Alright, moving on. Cloak of Deception. The story is a fine one on its own. It's a bit of a dramatic mystery trying to figure out who's pulling the strings and what the various groups' objectives are and who the various groups are while trying to keep peace in the galaxy. This gives us some depth on Palpatine and some on Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon as it is right before the Phantom Menace and it's very cool to see those pieces getting into place. They're all characters with quite a lot of depth before we dive into this story and so they only get more refined here. The strength of this book lies in setting up the future narrative of Star Wars, it's obviously a part of the story and the characters and their motivations, but we get to see all of the pieces put in place for the Siege of Naboo and the growing tensions between the Trade Federation and the Republic, and so the war, when it comes, makes more sense to somebody who only saw the movies and didn't read this book. Shadowhunter has a linear plot, and the outcome is known. Lorne Pavin and Darsha Assant are not going to stop Darth Maul and stop Palpatine in the plot to siege Naboo. They're not going to warn the Jedi Order. Heck, it's probably easy to guess that they won't survive to warn about Maul even after the siege, because that would warn off Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And despite that, it's a generally good story. The pacing is well set up, and the scenes all feel like they push towards either the narrative, push the narrative towards an inevitable conclusion, or character development. Lorne and I-5 are solid characters, and we get to see their motivations and understanding of the world develop in this short time frame. Darsha Assant is also a great character who grows in confidence and surety over the course of the book, even though she still has her doubts, plus Maul is still his badass self. This really is like a footnote in the events of Darth Plagueis, and it isn't fundamental, but like Cloak of Deception, it sets up the events of Phantom Menace while underlining the power that Maul represents. Darth Plagueis. Oh boy. Oh boy. The plot here is far-ranging, non-specific. This is almost more a biography or history textbook than a story, but it does tell the story of the culmination of a thousand years of Sith plotting. Reading Darth Bane is almost required for this, but you really only need to know the rule of two and the general philosophy that Bane thinks of. But like the details of knowing how Bane came to his plan and seeing the execution of it Together is a thing of beauty. The story of getting the pieces lined up isn't exciting necessarily. It's a lot of And then I had a meeting with this other organization and they were like, "Mm, okay, we'll do the thing that you asked We will send ten ships there and like as a reader you're like this seems boring, but when the pieces start to come together Oh What they represent is incredible now? Plagueis and Palpatine are at their best here, wonderfully complex, two-faced characters who are constantly pushing their agenda and constantly growing. Palpatine more so than Plagueis because Plagueis is relatively close to his apex as the story begins. The cast of characters around them are powerful movers and shakers in the galaxy, and they are but pawns and putty in the hands of the Dark Lords, which makes them even more interesting to observe. And I've been upselling this book, and yet the world building and lore is where this shines. I have rated it a 6 out of 5, it's just decades of plotting and scheming, and we get to see those long-term plans come to fruition, and because they're long-term, we get to see their impact on the personal level, and the organizational level, and even the galactic level in one book, which is just incredible. Hi, I'm a big fan of this book, in in case you couldn't tell. Rogue Planet, the plot here... Moving on to our next book, the plot feels a little macguffin at times, so it's a take it or leave it kind of story. There are some interesting ways to sharpen the edge, but it feels a little out of place between Plagueis and outbound flight. It's great for Anakin and Solid for Obi-Wan, who are the two most important characters for the story, but the antagonists are so poorly depicted in my mind that the story seriously suffers for their pettiness. It does add some detail to the world, but not something that we'll capitalize on until much later. Moving on to Outbound Flight. It has several stories intertwined, and all of them are told well. I was focused on the titular plot for a moment, and was happy with Joris Sebaith and Anakin, and Obi-Wan, and Kinman Doriana, and then I remembered the whole plot regarding Thrawn, which is like half of the book, and it's incredibly rich and detailed stories all over the galaxy. Of course, Thrawn, and George Cardass, and Joris Sebaeth, and Anakin, and Obi-Wan, and Palpatine, all these characters have complex presentations of wants and needs and motivations, and they compile together beautifully. This sets up tension between various groups in the galaxy, including the corporate alliance on Bartok, tensions between the Jedi and Palpatine in the Senate, the intentions of various mercantile organizations, and introduces Thrawn, who we'll absolutely get more of later, and so the world building is also excellent in this. Next up we have approaching storm. This is home to the shortest episode. The plot is serviceable as a vessel for the characters, but doesn't explain a whole lot. It's a bit of a wild Minoc chase with relatively linear story and very even pacing, so nothing really comes as a surprise. However, it lets us really look at the characters. We get a lot of Anakin, but also a very reasonable look at Bear Sophia as a young Padawan and Obi-Wan, with a touch of Luminara Unduli as well. It also gives a bit more shape for the Separatist movement and demonstrates how those organizations are taking action in the cascading effect of One Planet Stepping Back or Out of the Republic, but it's not a tome filled with ton of exciting knowledge. And this is... Like, we have this little roller coaster of Darth Plagueis, Rogue Planet, Outbound Flight, Approaching Storm. In any case, we move on to the Clone Wars. The war has begun! The plot here mostly serves as an introduction to a few characters, Rex and Ahsoka, and to set the stage for the Clone Wars themselves, providing more context to the events of Episode 2. The story propels the war along and shows us battles other than Geonosis, which isn't really a battle so much as a two sided ambush. Um. It also provides contextual growth points for our heroes and the villains don't act too cartoonishly. This is the first time we get to see Ahsoka in action, and she is, of course, great. And can Obi-Wan have their wartime banter and we learn of the stoic nature of the clones? It's a very strong showing for the characters. This also sets up several relationship dynamics, including Dooku and Ventress, as well as the relationship those antagonists have with the protagonists. It doesn't do a lot for the greater understanding of the galaxy, but does do some explaining of clones in general, not just the ones who talk to our heroes, i.e. Rex and Cody. The Clone Wars Wild Space. I love the story here. It's an adventure with Obi-Wan and Bail Organa, and it's really the first time the two of them interact, and it's a beautiful thing to see a friendship blossom from nowhere. It's not something that we see so often in Star Wars. Very often, friendships already exist, or there's a little bit more of a, like romantic hint to things, or like there's a reason characters would become friends, or they know each other and think they'll like each other and have... I mean, they're not enemies at the beginning, but they have very strong, different ideological beliefs, and they do build up that friendship. Uh, also, the whole shenanigans behind the plot make sense and bring me small joys. It is a wild Minoc chase for Bale and Obi-Wan, but we know that it's a wild Minoc chase because we're there in the room when Palpatine is like, let's send these two on a wild Minoc chase to see if I can get rid of a thorn in my side. And so. It's meaningless to Bale and Obi-Wan in the long term, but it is incredibly meaningful for Palpatine, so it's not just a waste of everybody's time, and it makes it a great execution of the narrative style. The characters are of course great, both Bale and Obi-Wan stay true to their characters and don't give an inch, but both of them are able to reevaluate their own perspectives and biases and learn from their interactions and their past. They're both wonderful characters made sharper by this story. Overall, it doesn't add a ton to the galaxy, we go to a planet in wild space. As mentioned, it is mostly a wild Minoc chase, which means there isn't a whole lot of weight and depth of exploration coming from it. We do get some knowledge about the average of the galaxy and some Jedi and political lore, but it's not incredibly rich. Now, Clone Wars No Prisoners is another character-driven story, this time focusing on gilad Palaean, a Republic naval officer, and Helena Devis a spy for the Republic, along with Ahsoka Tano as our main characters, and we get to see their interactions with clones, with Separatist revolutionaries, and a Jedi splinter faction. The questions raised by the story, the doubts and obstacles presented to the characters are all generally interesting and compelling, and those elements are only enhanced by the quality of the characters. The characters, many of whom existed in other media and other stories, but some who exist only for this story feel rich and deep with a plethora of options available to them and it's hard to predict what will happen but it always fits within their crafted identity. This one is relatively short on Gruder lore but does a good job of reinforcing pre-existing narrative elements and these characters. The Clone Wars Gambit Stealth and The Clone Wars Gambit Siege. The plot of these two are, of course, intertwined pretty heavily, cause they're, you know, books in the same series. It's nothing terribly exciting, but rather wrote Mission of the Week. These two could have easily been a filler arc in the Clone Wars show, and that's not a bad thing, but it's nothing to get excited about, it's not like the Umbaran arc or something along those lines. There's a deadly weapon being developed by the Separatists and Anakin and Obi-Wan have to go behind the lines, odds are against them and the clock is ticking. I've read this story before. Not this exact one, but a dozen times before. Now, Anakin and Obi-Wan do get some character development, more Anakin than Obi-Wan, but it's still good for both of them, because we also get to see some of Obi-Wan's previous relationship with Terry Damson and her interactions with Ahsoka, and that was nice to see, seeing Ahsoka interact with people other than Anakin is relatively rare in the show, and thus rare in general, and just getting more of her character rounded out is fantastic. And again, because the narrative is relatively character-driven, we don't get a lot of new world-building or lore. Moving on to Republic Commando Hard Contact, Republic Commando 000, True Colors, Order 66, and Imperial Commando 501st. I really enjoy these stories because they're outside of the Skywalker story and are generally small battles on side planets, there can be real progressions in these battles. Battles and even wars are won, gambits are played out, and there's a lot happening. Because these characters aren't the leaders of the war, since they're not Mace or Yoda, their victory doesn't necessarily need to have galactic impact. it's great seeing it all play out, especially as you get closer and closer to the timing of Revenge of the Sith. You know things are going to happen. Order 66 and 501st are both extraordinarily event-light, and yet have great stories. Because all the characters show growth, some of it incredible over the series. This is the longest series we've gotten to read so far, and it shows. Darmin, Fee Niner, and Atten all evolve dramatically from hard contact and we get to see the shifting allegiances, the true colors, if you will, of the Jedi as well as the clones and the Mandalorians. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the massive world-building and cultural development that's shown here. We sometimes get a sentence or two about a culture, maybe a page, but these really put a lot of weight on Mandalorian culture, with a touch of day-to-day Republic life, which we don't often see. It's not the high-level evaluation of Sith and Jedi philosophy that I previously got into a lot, nor the constant critique of the Jedi platform on attachment, but there's a lot of material to work with. We talk about farmers, we talk about smugglers, we talk about civilians on Coruscant, it's just a little bit of everything and it's surrounded by a bunch of characters who I really enjoy and some questions on the morality and ethics of the Jedi Order and the whole Clone Wars that aren't really addressed so well in other places. Now moving on, Shatterpoint. We start this story with a very clear mission. Find Depa Billaba, determine how far she's fallen, and bring her back and then we are bombarded with complications that make the story that much richer. It's not an overwhelming amount, but instead just adds twists and pushes the story to keep it moving. It's just unrelenting in its pace. Which is, of course, suiting for Mace Windu, who shines in this book. He's humorless, but the book is filled with comedy. We see many aspects of an otherwise one-dimensional Jedi Master. Mace Windu is stoic. Uh, we see his patience and wisdom and strength and honor, and we see how he learns from his experiences and yet still has some degree of, like, naivete or youthful optimism that is backed up by his incredibly heavy firepower. He's like, things will work out well because I will make them work out well. And that's really cool. And, of course, the supporting characters, Nick Rostu, Deppa herself, and Car Vaster, play off each other well, and each has a particular role to play with regards to Mace. These are some of the best character portrayals in Star Wars that we've read so far. The world building is mostly focused on Horror and Call, but it poses questions to the larger philosophy of the Jedi and the Clone Wars themselves, so it's also pretty solid. Now, moving on to the Cestus Deception, the story here is a bit of a disappointment. It's all too perfectly orchestrated, things play out too neatly. For every setback, there's already an answer in place and it doesn't feel like it was a planned answer, it feels like the characters stumble into a solution, so it doesn't feel rewarding. The characters don't really feel particularly good either, Obi-Wan feels out of character as does Nate, Alpha 9-8, and those are the two that we focus on, and it's disappointing, I don't have a lot to say beyond that. There is some interesting lore to the world of Ord Sestus and how they got entangled with the Trade Federation the consequences that's having with the Republic. Part of the author's goal and part of the story is that there's a confusing history, one of obfuscated corporate deals. And it was a little too successful in that I was rather confused about how Ord Cestus was entangled with everything and what the impact of these events was. I didn't understand the stakes. And I think that, like, the author was trying to make it hard to understand what Ord cestus's deal was and succeeded too well. It wasn't—this is a case— where you should tell us and not demonstrate it for us, because if I'm confused, that means I'm not gonna follow along with the book. Anyways, moving on to MedStar, Battle Surgeons and Jedi Healer. The overall story of surgeons in a mobile field hospital are great. But there are some side plots, Admiral Blade and cared in particular come to mind, that just gum up the books. If those side stories had been cut and the two books combined into one, it would have been a great story just exploring the nature of sentient beings, particularly under great daring and heroic achievements. Like, I would have loved these books if there wasn't a quote-unquote villain for them to deal with, because that villain, the villains that showed up, didn't actually interact with the heroes at all. It was just, you know they're in war and war sucks there doesn't need to be a face or a name to the enemy that they're fighting it can just be depression and like that's something that these characters struggle with and it's fascinating to read about and then we're like and also admiral blade is being a jerk up on his space station and killing blacks on pirates and he's smuggling drugs and being a bad person it's like i don't care this is meaningless to the characters that i that are interesting and that are relevant. All of the characters of the Rimsu are great, Dendur, Barris, i5, Joss Vondar, Tolk Latrine, Zanyant, even Clo Merritt and Fauji who have relatively minor roles. Like with other characters whose praises I've sung, they showed personal motivations and growth as their environment evolved. Each scene between any two characters plays out differently because they have a depth of personality, they're not just caricatures. There's also a touch of lore and world building in this series with regards to how the Republic medical apparatus operates, how Boda functions, as well as a bit of Black Sun. But actually, there's a fair amount now that I think about it, but it's relatively mundane, if interesting. Moving on to Jedi Trial. Like Cestus' Deception failing as a platform for Obi-Wan, Jedi Trial fails Anakin. The primary story of Anakin coming into being a leader is undermined by the fact that, generally speaking, he's a pretty crappy leader, as is his support Mija Halcyon and Zozredor Slake isn't that much better. Plus, there's a whole romance story happening between two characters who don't actually do anything, so that felt… rough. Anakin is supposed to be the focus of the story, but it doesn't seem like he gets a ton of growth, Part of the problem is that this was retcon to be three months into the war instead of three years, so reading it in this order feels like he should have learned these lessons long ago, and in fact has. By the time that we read Clone Wars, which was like ten books ago, it he's already a rather competent general and he knows how to lead his forces, but as we're reading this, he doesn't. And it's basic stuff though, like he's treating clones like cannon fodder, and not, like it just feels out of character for Anakin here, because of what we've seen in so many other places. Also, the villains act like cartoons. They're just cartoons. They are jokes. It's frustrating to see cartoonish villains. There's a bit of structure of the Republic, the Separatists, and the Independents, read Pirates under Zozardor's Lake, but not a ton. Uh, This is actually one of the few books that has non-clone military units in it fighting for the Republic, and those are never brought up again. And so it's hard to understand this system of auxiliaries. It's just real it's real weird and I'd like maybe excise it from canon if I could, maybe. Moving on to Yoda Dark Rendezvous. Like Ceptception and Jedi Trial Failed Anakin and Obi-Wan. Shatterpoint and Dark Rendezvous. Are absolute successes for their primary characters. The offer from Dooku to have peace talks with Yoda and Yoda alone is an incredibly compelling hook. And then we get a bunch of nonsense between that and initial offer and when things really get good. So the plot can be hit or miss, but I really enjoyed the story of Scout, including the training montage in the temple. On the other hand, I didn't love the story of Solus and Fidelis, um, and the whole wild Minoc chase that Ventress went on, but it was good enough. But when it comes to characters, Ventress, Dooku, and Yoda knock it out of the park. Each of them presents an argument. Other Jedi in the story do as well, but not as succinctly. And it's just so good. The debate between Yoda and Dooku in Chateau Malraux is fantastic, and each character's philosophies and personalities are so well displayed. Dooku and Ventress, who I've frequently compared to cartoon villains in the last several books, are anything but. The world building is a little shy here, but we get some background information about Dooku and Yoda from outside the fence of this story, which is nice. Labyrinth of Evil is, again, another Minoc chase, which is somewhat boring and frustrating for me, buying time to get characters in place for a variety of scenes. We don't get a whole lot of character development at any of the stops along the way, although we do get to experience a wider variety of worlds. Anakin and Obi-Wan get a tiny bit of refinement, but there's not a lot of growth or exploration of who they are. They need to be ready for Revenge of the Sith as soon as this story ends, and they pretty much start the story where they end. So not only do they not grow, I know that they're not going to grow, which undermines them as interesting and compelling characters. The supporting cast isn't even one that I remember. We do get a little bit of handful of details of different worlds, but we don't get any deep philosophical insights, so the lore here feels somewhat unrewarding, unfortunately, despite coming from James Luceno. Uh, we do get some about Grievous, but, like, it's it's not incredible. Moving on to Kenobi... This is a very significant departure from pretty much everything we've read outside of the MedStar duology. This is a very human story featuring what it means to be sentient and what it means to be responsible and to be an adult in the galaxy. It does not have galactic impact one way or the other. Nobody outside of this settlement is going to notice what happens. But that doesn't mean the story isn't good. In fact, it's great. It's a slower pace and a different type of story, but is nonetheless great. Obi-Wan shines here, getting the novel he deserved over Cestus Deception. This is, I think, on par with Yoda and Dark Rendezvous and Mason Shatterpoint. We get to see a lot of his philosophy and personal beliefs, and him suiting action to words. The supporting characters are also enjoyable, despite most of them playing to tropes and stereotypes. There's also some good lore on the subcultures of Tatooine, and it feels very grounded. It's solid, but not stellar, again, because of the galactic impact. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Very clever with that solid but non-stellar thing. Anyways, Dark Lord: The Rise of Darth Vader. This is one of the better stories about the fallout of Order 66. We see it in many pieces of media. We see it in Corsan Knights, Imperial Commando, Fallen Order, Rebels, Bad Batch, Kenobi. But we get to follow along a bit longer and the continued hunt, which makes it feel less like a minoc chase because we're we're the ones who are like we're with the Minok who's running away we're there for the decision making process of where to go rather than just finding out oh the princess is another castle let's go to another castle like we did with dawn of the jedi or knight errant we're there when roan shrine and oli starstone are making decisions and so when we switch to darth vader's point of view and we see him following them we understand why we're going to these planets and why these things are happening rather than being like i guess we're here now Um, Now, despite being titled Dark Lord The Rise of Darth Vader, we don't get a ton of Vader's perspective, but what we do get is extraordinarily illuminating. It's fantastic to see him in the first moments after Revenge of the Sith as he's still coming to grips with his new identity as Darth Vader, his new role in this suit of armor. It's great. Plus, the parts we get of Rone Shrine and Oli Starstone are reliable role fillers. They're not always thrilling, but they do have some good moments, and they're definitely not disappointing. One of the great things about this is that not only do we see the rise of Darth Vader, but we get to see the rise of the Empire in parallel. We get to learn a lot about Vader and the new regime, as well as occasionally getting glimpses into other parts of the galaxy, including Alderaan and Kashyyyk. The lore building here is, again, a solid role player. Moving on to Coruscant Nights 1, 2, and 3, Jedi Twilight, Street of Shadows, and Patterns of Force, as well as the not real, I guess the de facto fourth book in the trilogy, The Last Jedi. These books tell several different stories, they're not as linked as some of our other series. The first two feel like MacGuffin Minoc chases, and the last two feel like panic-driven action, neither of which are terribly compelling for me. Michael Reeves does have a way of writing stories that are engaging. Shadow Hunter, both MedStar books, and Jedi Twilight are all books that I chewed through. But as I got deeper into these books, the more the characters stayed on the page. I5 and Dender were the most compelling, and they didn't move that much. I5 did, but Dender stayed the same cantankerous character throughout all four books. Ara Singh in the second book should have been thrilling. Probus Tesla in Coruscant Nights 3 and The Last Jedi could have been terrifying, but instead they just fell flat. There wasn't a lot of growth demonstrated, and a lot of poor decisions were made with no consequences or no apparent reaction from the rest of the crew, except for Den, who naysayed everything. And so it wasn't like, oh, you think this is a bad idea. You just think everything is a bad idea. So, like, there was no... It Again, like, it felt like there was a lack of agency on the part of characters. They, It was just, like, bad decision-making, which is hard for me to read. I don't, like... Incompetent characters. They only got through things through, like, it felt like sheer luck a lot of the time. We do get some fun details about the growth of the Rebellion and some about the Jedi Order and training practices, some about the Grey Paladins. Not a huge amount of lore and world building for four books, but it's fine, I guess. Now, that wraps up the 30 books we've read, so let's move on to some stats and details. The longest episode by far was Darth Plagueis by James Luceno, clocking in at 2 hours, 21 minutes, and 54 seconds. That is longer than The Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, Rogue One, The Force Awakens, so low. It's less than a minute shorter than both The Rise of Skywalker and Attack of the Clones, and only 10 minutes shorter than The Last Jedi. Not only is James an excellent world builder, but the story covers 60 or so years and is one of the longer books, so naturally more events are going to occur, so discussing the plot took longer. Of course, it's also the only primary source we have on Plages, and we get to see the development of Palpatine and Tyrannus and Maul and the Clone Army and the entire events of Cloak Deception and Lockdown and Shadow Hunter, and so much more. It is so good and so dense. The shortest was Approaching Storm by Alan Dean Foster. It was only 29 minutes and 24 seconds. There wasn't a lot other than the plot to explore. There was some growth in Anakin, but the other characters didn't learn a lot, and there wasn't significant amounts of interesting philosophy to explore. If I had to pick a favorite, I'd obviously, maybe obviously, have to say Darth Plages. That was such a delight. Also, I have to say it's a bonus episode, not really part of season two, but hanging out with my friend Meg Rickman and just talking about all of the books for a couple of hours, everything up until, I don't know how many seasons we're going to have, but to the end of time, that was just fantastic and a ton of fun and something that I hope to do again with some other guests in the future. Regarding challenges, my rhythm was disrupted early January last year and I took a quote-unquote short hiatus that I wanted to be like a week or two but ended up being six months and it was difficult getting back into it the biggest challenge is usually turning the notes into an outline it's often the least fun part and I had the notes from I believe it was outbound flight and did not have the outline and so I have these notes that I don't quite understand because I didn't read this I read this book six months ago and I'm trying to make this comprehensive outline. And I really want to do it justice. Because I really like the book. And Thrawn is an incredible character. Uh, I think I just like. Speed read the book. Uh, skipping over stuff where I'm like. Oh yeah I remember this and this is boring. So I can skip it. And then like reading the Thrawn sections in detail. Because I like those. And be like okay now I can write the outline. But it still took a lot of time. To get over that jump. Um, and like. With some books moving forward. I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about, and so that makes outlining a little bit hard. Uh, and I'm still not sure how to tackle it. It's something that I've been getting better at, but we'll see if that improves by then, to season three. Now, going on to recommended reading, the Republic Commander books, while pretty much wholly distinct from the Skywalker saga and not really closely tied to the direction of the war, are excellent explorations of the Clone Wars. If that's what you're interested in, it is a must-read. Plus, I love me my Mandalorians, and if you're interested in them because of the show The Mandalorian, that's another excellent reason to read them. Skippables include Lockdown, The Cestus Deception, Jedi Trial, and... Honestly, all of the Jax Pavan books, the Coruscant Knight trilogy, and The Last Jedi, they all feel disconnected and skippable to me. Of course, Jedi Trial is significant for Anakin's story, and Jax Pavan fleshes out Vader as well as explores the consequences of Order 66. Uh, the Clone Wars Gambit books also less exciting and are skippable. Um, I recommend that you come back to Rogue Planet and Outbound Flight later. They make reference to characters who debut later in the timeline, and so I think they can be appreciated more fully if you read them later. If I'm picking just one book, it's no surprise to anyone that I'm going to name Darth Plagueis. It does just such a good job explaining how the Clone Wars was set up, how it was all orchestrated. There are a lot of questions asked in other stories, both for readers and characters, that are answered in Plagueis. Star Wars isn't a mystery, it's a galaxy, and this book helps reveal secrets. Darth Plagueis, Shatterpoint, Dark Rendezvous and Dark Lord really add a ton of depth to the main plot of the Clone Wars and a fair amount to Anakin's journey while also generally being good reads and standalone books so you don't have to invest too much time. That would make these my four fundamental recommendations for Season 2. Now, let's talk about some arcs. Uh, if you're interested in growing tensions before the war, Cloak of Deceptions, Shadow Hunter, Darth Plagueis, Outbound Flight, and Approaching Storm, that keys you up from just before... Phantom Menace, all the way to just before Attack of the Clones. It's pretty much all of them. I'm cutting uh, Lockdown and Approach, uh, not Approaching Storm, Rogue Planet. Uh, But the rest of them I think are pretty important. You could probably skip Outbound Flight, but I don't want you to because it's a good book, so you should read it. If you are just interested in the events of the Clone Wars, of course, the five Clone Wars books by Karens, Travis, and Miller, the five Republic Commando books, MedStar Duology, Shatterpoint, Jedi Trial, Dark Rendezvous, and Labyrinth of Evil. That tells you the story of the war itself. If you're interested in the Skywalker saga, what's happening with Anakin, Rogue Planet, Outbound Flight, Approaching Storm, the five Clone Wars books by Karens, Travis, and Miller, Jedi Trial, Labyrinth of Evil, and Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader. If you're interested in Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's the same thing as the Skywalker recommendations. Just swap Jedi Trial for the Cestus Deception and add in Cloak of Deception as another book that you can read. Ahsoka, if you're interested in her, only appears in the first three Clone Wars books. I mean, she does appear in the Gambit books, but not as a super significant character. So, you can probably skip those. Although, if you're hungry for Ahsoka content, she is in them. So, doesn't hurt to read them. If you're interested in just the Sith and their machinations, Lockdown, Shadowhunter, Cloak of Deception, Darth Plagueis, Outbound Flight, and Dark Ronde. Boo, are my recommendations. If you're interested in... The Clone Army, that's pretty much the same as the Clone Wars, except, uh, let's see, you can skip the MedStar duology, Shatterpoint, and Labyrinth of Evil. Yeah. Um, So that's the Clone Wars books by the Karens, the Republic Commando books, No Prisoners, um, and Cestus Deception. If you're interested in the end of the war, that would be Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader. Kenobi, and Coruscant Knights. Anyways, coming up next time, we're going to be talking about Legacy of the Jedi, our first young adult book. Maybe more? I don't know what these are going to look like. We're diving back to the beginning of the Clone Wars. Okay, a little bit earlier in some places, but it's the same century, it's the same time frame as what we've already talked about. Nothing's going to be going back before Darth Plagueis begins, so it's all in this time frame. Uh, But yeah, we're going to the Clone Wars, and we're going to young adult books i'm not sure how these episodes are going to pan out the books are much shorter so i might do two or three books per episode i might have shorter episodes i might be like i can read a whole 10 book series and make one episode out of that uh so we might do that we'll see no way to know until we record the first episode and feel see what feels right it might take two or three episodes i don't know it's going to be an adventure Anyways, if you liked this episode and want to hear more of my ramblings, please be sure to check that box, like, subscribe, favorite, or whatever it is your app calls it, and check back in next week. You can contact me on Twitter at Jedi underscore Archive, or email me at PodcastFatElfGames.com. I'm Jonah, the archives are incomplete.